So good morning. So glad you guys are here. Today marks the beginning of Passion Week, or what some people call Holy Week. Right? You guys excited? Yes. <laughs> hey, before we get into that, I wanted to tell you about the men's retreat that we had this weekend. It was an awesome time for men to kind of get together and fellowship. We had men from this church, men from other churches. There's probably over 100 of them up at Camp Utmost. 200. Really? It was that many, huh? It was awesome. So I want to encourage you, all those men that did not come this year, want to see you come next year, because it's an awesome time to come and fellowship with one another, to praise the Lord God Almighty together, and to hear some good word. And that was awesome. How many of you did go that are in here? Man, look at the hands. Awesome. I didn't hear that. What was that? They said they were a little busy. Oh, they're a little busy. Yes, you guys were. You kind of had a good excuse, though. Totally, totally get that. Okay. So this is the time between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. That's what we're talking about today. And it's called Passion Week because of the passion that Jesus showed in willingly and humbly obeying his Father in going to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. You know, technology is so good when it works. But when it doesn't, It really is frustrating. Okay, so we'll go old school today. And I won't be able to see the screen. There we go. Now we're ready. (laughs) All right, so we've been in a message series for the past three weeks. And it's entitled, The Journey to the Cross. And we've been learning about the mission of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and the message of Jesus. So Jesus suffered and he died so that we would live. And to live, we must be willing to suffer for following him. Look at that. All right, let's stop and pray for a minute. Let's do that. Father, we come before you right now and we just pray, Jesus, that there would be nothing that stands in the way of the word of God today. Not technology, not evil, not anything. So we ask for your presence to come right here in this room and dispel any distraction that we have. I pray right now that you just clear my mind because I'm frustrated right now because stuff isn't working the way it's supposed to. But Lord, we're going to glorify your name anyway. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, so to live, we must be willing to suffer for following him. And we've got to be focused on sharing the good news. The good news of his death his burial, and his resurrection. And last week we said the good news is the power of God. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That's not just good news. That is great news. 
And to experience this power, we need to do exactly what Jesus said to do in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. We must repent and believe in the gospel. You guys remember that? We must repent and believe in the gospel. That's what we talked about last week. That was the whole message of Jesus. That was the central message of his ministry while he was here on this earth. And it's all summed up in those two words. Because when we obey these words, it leads to the salvation of our souls. And this is not just a one-time event. It is a lifelong commitment. Our salvation is based on the complete work of Jesus' work on the cross. That's the power of God that can save us. It was his death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection after three days. So you and I can never earn our way to heaven, no matter how hard we try. We've talked about this. It is Jesus plus nothing. That's what saves us, Jesus plus nothing. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. So to repent is to change our mind so that we then change our direction. And once we change our mind and we leave our sins behind through repentance, we then turn to God and we believe. And the kind of belief that will save us is is one that goes from our head down into our heart. So we believe the gospel is true and that's what leads to action. And that is the kind of belief that we're talking about here. True saving faith is a belief that obeys. Because profession without submission means nothing. Now, our obedience is not the means to our salvation, but it is the evidence of our salvation. Now, let me say that again, because we really, really need to understand this. Our obedience is not the means to our salvation, but it is the evidence of our salvation. Our obedience is simply the proof that our belief is genuine. And that's the kind of belief that Jesus is looking for because that's the only kind of belief that will save us. But we need to do is what Jesus tells us to do, and it's never about perfection. Remember we talked about this last week? It is never about perfection. It's all about direction. And that direction should lead us to be fully devoted and faithful followers of Jesus. Today is a special day, and it's going to be a little bit of a different service. It's already started out that way with all those technological challenges, right? (laughs) You guys are still with me, huh? I can do this without a mic if I have to. Man. So it is going to be different today. I'm going to warn you, I am going to say a curse word in church today. Just telling you, I'm giving you that up front, okay? But before you grab your tomatoes to throw at me, I want you to know that the word that I'm going to say is an actual word in the Bible, okay? So if you're new and this is your first time today, I don't want you to judge service by what you've seen or what you hear today. I would encourage you to come back again next week. Amen? Amen. All right. Palm Sunday is a significant event in history. It's the day that Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem as the king the promised Messiah that everyone had been waiting for. And this event is recorded in all four Gospels in the Bible. 
Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, Luke chapter 19, and John chapter 12. These four books of the Bible, they're called the Gospels because they give an account, they each give an account of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection. And each of these books provides a very unique detail about Palm Sunday. And so when you put them all together, you can get a full picture of the significance of this glorious day. So let me first give a high-level overview of what happened on Palm Sunday, and then we're going to dive deeper into the details to get the full meaning and significance. As Jesus and his disciples were traveling to Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus then told two of his disciples to go into the village and bring a young donkey that would be tied up there and had never been ridden before. When they brought the young donkey to Jesus, they put their garments over it. And then Jesus rode this donkey into Jerusalem. As he rode the donkey, crowds of people were celebrating and shouting. They laid down their garments in front of him. They did this like a royal red carpet. And as they waved the palm branches in the air, they took the palm branches and they laid those down too, all in front of Jesus. Because it was the custom of these times to lay down garments and lay down palm branches for a king. Anytime they were welcoming a king. Scripture records that people were praising God and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. It was an amazing time to celebrate the king that they had been waiting for. He finally had arrived. Hosanna literally means to save us or save now. The people wanted to be saved from the Roman oppression they were under. They expected, they expected that the Messiah, the beloved king that they had been waiting so long for, would finally put an end to Roman rule and set them free. Did you hear that? They expected. Have you ever expected something from the Lord? You ever expected him to do something for you and it didn't quite work out the way you wanted? Yeah. Jesus didn't come to this world to meet our expectations. He came to do his Father's will and to glorify him in everything he did. The people who saw Jesus come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey expected a political solution rather than a spiritual solution to their problems, which oddly enough is the same challenge we continue to face today. We can never fix a spiritual problem with a political solution. Now, how many of you would like another political solution thrust upon you? I think we've seen enough of that in the last few years, haven't we? No, thank you. Government is not our Savior. Jesus is the only Savior that can truly save you. Political solutions have never worked all throughout history, and they never will. Because the root of every problem in this world is sin. Sin is the real pandemic of the world today. Let me say that again. Sin is the real pandemic of the world today. I hope you've got your hand out and you're following along. I put lots of blanks in there for you guys today. <laughs> lots of them. There's only one cure. There's only one cure for this. 
We can try to treat all of the symptoms of sin. We can try to mask them. We can try to excuse them. We can try to explain them. We can dismiss them. We can even try to redefine them. But sin is sin, no matter what we try to do to say or do otherwise. Sin is serious, and it's what separates us from a holy God. And the only way to experience true peace and be healed of this pandemic of sin is not through a political solution. It's only through a spiritual solution to our deepest need that we can experience the peace of God. And that's why Jesus came to this earth the first time, to make a way to be healed from sin when there was no other way. He came to save us from our sins. Jesus' salvation solution is more powerful than any political solution. His focus was on saving us eternally, not temporarily. So as the people were screaming and shouting, Hosanna, meaning save us now, they were actually blind to what they really needed saving from. They thought they needed saving from the Romans. But what they actually needed saving from was their sins. They needed salvation for their souls. That's what they needed. So they were blind to what they truly needed. And sadly, there are many like that today. They don't understand that their deepest need is peace with God. Sin demands God's wrath. The just payment for sin is spiritual death. Others are aware of this, but they don't care because they're too busy being consumed with what satisfies themselves. They would rather have pleasure over peace. But to not understand the need for peace with God or to not even care about it, that just shows that these people have no idea of the seriousness of their condition and just what fate awaits them when they die physically here on this earth. Because those who have not reconciled to God through their faith in Jesus will be destined to suffer in hell for all eternity apart from God. That's the bad news that we talked about last week. But the good news is that as long as people have breath in their lungs, there is still hope for them. And it's by hearing and believing in the good news that people can have peace with God. And the good news is that Jesus laid down his life. He took upon himself the full wrath of God for our sins. And he made a way for us to be saved from our sins by being fully reconciled to God. His resurrection from his death on the cross three days after being laid in the tomb proved that he has the power over all sin and over all death and that he was and is who he said he was. Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey for two primary reasons. Number one, he did this intentionally to provoke the Jewish leaders to carry out their plan to crucify him. That's number one. Every time the Jewish leaders had tried to arrest him up to this point, it ended in failure because his time had not yet come. How many times did you read that? His time had not yet come. But now the time that God had ordained had finally come for his son to die for the sins of the world. The second primary reason that he came on a donkey was to fulfill prophecy. 
It was to fulfill prophecy. Matthew and John both make a point in their account of this event that it fulfilled a long-awaited prophecy that had been written about Jesus 500 years before he was even born. It's in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now, before we get to this scripture, I want to introduce you to something new that we've decided to do. You look up here up on the screen in the upper right-hand corner. Somebody made this request, and I thought it was a good one. We've got you a little help tip up here, upper right-hand corner. It tells you where the book of this Bible is. Okay, First of all, it starts off with either OT or NT. OT for Old Testament, NT for New Testament. And then it's going to give you to the right a little bit of a tip. Cool, huh? We're going to do that from now on because I know there's some people in here, they're new. They're just getting into the Word of God, and so they need a little bit of help. Where are these books? It can be overwhelming. There's 66 of them, right? All right. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage all of you to bring your Bible to church every Sunday. Flip through it with me as we go through God's Word together. Trust me, you will get a lot more out of it if you're thumbing through it and you're reading it as we're going through it together. Now, I also encourage you, mark up your Bible. Don't be afraid to mark up your Bible. Underline, highlight, write some notes, whatever you got to do. Mark it up. If it gets too full of notes, buy another one. Now, since we started this church, I've always, always encouraged you to be like the Bereans. Remember the Berean people? The Bereans, what they did is they would take what they heard and then they would go search the scriptures themselves and make sure that what they heard was in fact the truth and that they lined up. I want all of you to be like Bereans. I don't ever want you to take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Always search the scriptures for yourselves and make sure that what you hear is in line with the Bible. And that's part of the problem today. People don't know their Bibles. And many of them rely on what other people say about the Bible instead of reading and studying it for themselves. We all need to know the Word of God, which means we need to be reading it and studying it ourselves. Don't ever rely solely on what others say about the Word of God. Read it and study it yourselves and listen to the Holy Spirit who will teach you the truth. You don't have to be embarrassed if you're new. It's okay if you're feeding on milk right now. At some point, you'll graduate and start feeding on spiritual meat. Everyone has to start somewhere. And this church is all about discipleship. It's right there on the wall. It's one of the backbones and pillars of this church. We want you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Now, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It's in the Old Testament. It's the second to the last book in the Old Testament. If you're familiar with Matthew, it's two books to the left of that. All right, so the prophet Zechariah, he says this. He says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy just as it said it would happen. The first and most significant detail of this day, Palm Sunday, is the donkey. Jesus came not as the conquering king riding a war horse, 
that everyone expected, but as the king of peace riding on a donkey. This is a huge, huge contrast to what we're going to see when Jesus comes back to this earth the second time, as recorded in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. I want you to listen to this very closely. Listen to this. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This describes the ultimate warrior of all time. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. When he comes again, it will not be to bring peace. It will be to bring war, judgment, and the wrath of Almighty God. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It will happen just as his word says it will happen. Oh, and what a day it's going to be. I can't wait for that day. Come, Jesus, come, man. I am ready. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So he was, he is, and he forever will be the greatest warrior and king the world will ever know. But on Palm Sunday, nearly 2,000 years ago, he chose not to come as the conquering king riding on a war horse that everyone expected, but he came as the king of peace riding on a donkey. The King James Bible translation actually renders the word donkey as an ass. Now, I could have said the King James actually renders the word donkey as bleep, but I didn't because it's in the Bible. That word is actually in the Bible. So you're welcome. Now, I'll admit I was a little bit excited to say that word in church today. (laughs) I really was. What do you think about that, son? (laughs) So Jesus' triumphant entry on Palm Sunday was all about him coming on the back of an ass. And he's still doing that today. He comes on the backs of all of us. You with me? We are his message bearers. We are. And we should be delivering his message to anyone who will listen. But how often do we get in the way of his message being delivered? He told us to go in the great commission that we just covered a couple of weeks ago. Are we going? Are we making disciples? Are we sharing the good news? Are we listening to his voice and then obeying? Or are we just like a stubborn donkey? How many of you can be just like a stubborn donkey? Come on. (laughs) Be honest. 
Now, stubborn means being rebellious, being resistant, unreasonable, unyielding, self-seeking, being unwilling or being difficult to be led. That's what being stubborn is. And the Bible is full of examples of people being stubborn. Even God's chosen people, God called a stiff-necked people. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, Moses speaks to the people of Israel, and he reminds them about just how stubborn they were and how much that provokes God's wrath. It says here, beginning in verse 7, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. And then in the next several verses, we read about how Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai. This is the point where God gives him the Ten Commandments. You might remember this. And the people literally went crazy. People that were down at the bottom of the mountain waiting for Moses to come. They went crazy. They were impatient. They made a golden calf. This all kinds of corruption started happening. And then in verse 13 of this same chapter, we see God call them a stiff-necked people. He says, furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, this is Moses, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Now, you and I may not be building golden calves today, but there are plenty of idols that we set up in our lives that actually take the place of God. And we can be so stubborn and so stiff-necked about what we know we should be doing versus what we're actually doing. In fact, James chapter 4, verse 17 says, if we know the good that we're supposed to do and choose not to do it, it's actually sin. So being like a donkey when we know what we should be doing is actually sin. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 Stephen addressed a group of Jewish leaders and he did not hold back in speaking the truth. Here's what he said. He said, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. Now, name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's laws even though you received it from the hands of angels. You and I can be just like that. We can be just like a donkey and be stubborn. When we're being stubborn, we're actually resisting the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? We shouldn't be resisting the Holy Spirit. We should be listening to and obeying the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus chose to come riding on a donkey for his triumphant entry. He did this coming into Jerusalem. It was on the final Sunday before his brutal death on the cross that happened on a Friday. He didn't come as a military Messiah like everyone expected. He didn't come like most kings of the world with all the hype and the arrogance and all the look at me type of stuff going on. He didn't do that. No, Jesus came with humility. That was his character all throughout his ministry. He came to serve, not to be served. You may remember how he washed his disciples' feet, all 12 of them. It's the same example here that he expects from all of us, right? Because when he washed those disciples' feet, he was teaching them a lesson. 
He wanted them to do exactly what he was doing. So we need to follow him. And that's what he expects from us, to love and serve people no matter how messy or how dirty their lives are. We have so many examples in the Bible. Plenty of examples. You can look at the life of Jesus. You can just look at the word of God. We got plenty of examples for us on how we should be living our lives. The Bible is our training guide on how to live. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this. All Scripture is inspired by God. That means it's God-breathed. It doesn't matter that there were 40 different authors across 66 different books over a span of 1,500 years. It was God-breathed. Every word in the Bible. It says, and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So are we allowing ourselves to be trained? Are we even following what we've been trained on? We should be training for war, spiritual warfare, because spiritual warfare is real. It's everywhere. And Jesus has given us all the resources we need to wage war as children of God. It's all right in the Bible. So the question today is, are you more like a stubborn donkey or are you more like a trained war horse? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came into this world humbly you lived a perfect sinless life giving us an example on how we're to live our lives what you did and how you did it glorified your father in heaven and that's our purpose to glorify you and i pray today lord that you would stir our hearts to be reminded of what it means to be a true follower of you I ask Jesus that there's someone here today that has not made the commitment to repent and believe in you. Jesus, that you would stir their soul to know that there is freedom in you if we'll just believe. I thank you, Father, that you made that easy. Now, following you, it isn't easy, but committing our lives to you is. And so I just pray right now, Lord Jesus, there's someone here that needs to make that relationship right with you. That you give them the courage to say, I need to get right with the Lord today. I need to repent. Lord God, work in their heart today. Others of you, as we continue to pray, you're here and you're reminded that, man, I've been acting like a stubborn donkey. And I've got to get my life right. And because the Bible teaches that I should be like a trained warhorse. And I have all the tools at my disposal to do that in the word of God. You've told us in Ephesians chapter 6 how to wage war as a warrior in Christ. All the armor we need is right there at our disposal. We've got the sword of the spirit to just wield. And yet, we don't do it like we should. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us. You'd encourage us. I thank you that you were a mighty God. You came humbly on a donkey. How amazing is that? the Savior of the world coming on a donkey. Praise your holy name. Hosanna. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today,
and you need prayer and you'd like to come forward, I want to encourage you to do that in just a minute. What we've got first is we've got a testimony that we want to share. I know Bob and Marsha were looking forward to coming up front today. And I asked them to do this. So I believe you guys will be blessed by what you're going to hear because it is the testimony of the power of God. The handoff. Um, First thing I'd like to say is um, I raised mammoth donkeys and... And they're not stubborn. (laughs) Okay, that was the correction. Um, We're here today to um, just share with you. um, First, I'd like to uh, mention uh, that 50 years ago, um, Marsha was in the hospital giving birth to our daughter, who's here with us. That's the last time she saw a doctor until my daughter's birthday this past Monday. 50 years, never been to a doctor. On Monday, she had a stroke. And as most of you are aware, um, that's usually a, a pretty severe sentence. She's here standing with me today, 100% Marsha. Praise the Lord. Um, I would I would like to uh, how do you do this read Bible stuff while you're talking into this thing I, I know yeah you got a handle on it I'd like to read to you one um, there are two verses out of First Thessalonians it says um, rejoice evermore pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I'm here to tell you that when when I called uh, when Marcia was having a stroke, I called for prayer. And uh, there's a lot of people in here who participated in that. We don't know you all yet, but we will. we finally convinced her that she needed to go to the hospital. She was pretty resistant to the idea, but um, by the time we got to the hospital, God had performed a miracle. If it hadn't been for modern medicine and MRIs and such, the uh, people at the hospital probably wouldn't have recognized the fact that she had a stroke. It was the evidence uh, of the MRI that uh, uh, shared that. So I'm here to tell you that, uh, as it shares with us in 1 Thessalonians, prayer is huge. And uh, we can't diminish the um, miracles that God will perform. On our behalf. Um, I'd just like to say one other thing. Somebody 
came to me this morning about a men's group that's been meeting in our garage for 14 years. Every Saturday, without fail, whether we are there or not, these men come together. Uh, 14 years, 52 uh, meetings a year, without fail. Every week, we take a prayer request from every man that comes. You run the numbers. That's 700 prayer requests. And uh, I'll confess to you that I have not been faithful in uh, those prayers uh, for all those years and all those requests. Um, I try, but uh, I'm here to tell you that uh, there'll be a lot more attention paid to prayer requests uh, uh, at our household. So, anyhow. I'm, um, I'm not a person who's a, a speaker, and I uh, asked the Lord what he wanted me to say as far as a testimony would go. And what he said to me was, in the twinkling, twinkling of an eye, all things can be changed. Mm -hmm. And that goes for um, each and every one of us. And the day before I had my stroke, I got up in the morning, I got the men's group ready for them. I had a women's group that meets at my house once a month. I got ready for that. When that was over, I, um, had, uh, I prepared a, a party for 26 people, and we were done with the party and everything, and I sat down and I was tired. And um, the next day I got up and I came to church, and I went home and went to sleep and got up and had a stroke. And so what I'm saying is none of us know what's going to happen to us. I, you wouldn't think that would happen to me. I'm a healthy person, but it can happen to anybody. Driving home today, um, something can happen. Um, so we always have to be prepared. We always have to be living for the Lord. And if people haven't committed, they need to think about where they are in their walk with the Lord. And um, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. And um, I am so thankful because, as Bob referred to when I had my daughter, I got spinal meningitis from the anesthetic, and I went into a coma. I did not know the Lord at that time, and he gave me a life that I could come to know him. And so I serve the Lord, um, and I want to have a testimony that can make people think about where they are in their walk. And when I came up here, I was um, thinking, I do not know what to say, but the Lord said, open your mouth, and I will fill it. And so please take my testimony and think about your walk. And I am so thankful that <laughs> I am here and I can speak because you don't know what it's like to have your head filled with words and be saying something totally different. And I uh, have a deal made with Bob that if this happens again, I will go immediately to the hospital. <laughs> and he will do the same thing because we're both big-headed and stubborn and we don't. We don't want to go. And so um, I'm, I'm having uh, in uh, another probably week and a half, I have to go back in and have another um, CAT scan and this and that to find out, um, you know, if what goes on from here. But I'm thankful to Jesus that I have an opportunity to stand here and, um, and get you to think about where you are if something happened to you quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Thanks for your prayers. They're big. Isn't that awesome? That's the power of God right there. And it is so encouraging when I see stuff like this happen and I see just an army of prayer warriors descend down to pray over the needs of people in this church. I've seen it over and over again. That is an excellent example of God's glory working in something that seemed impossible. And yet here she is. Here she stands. So believe it. God is in the miracle-making business. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He can and he does perform miracles today. And so the power of prayer, never, ever underestimate that. And with that, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll open it up to any of you who want to come forward to pray. Father, we give you glory today. Thank you for what you did in Marcia's life. Praise your name. I pray that you continue to strengthen her and bless her and bless their marriage. I thank you so much for their whole family being here. It's such a cool thing to look and see the whole doxy road just filled up praise you for that and lord i just ask right now that um for those that may be here and may be doubting in their spirit right now show yourself real to them fill them with your spirit so there'll be a fresh anointing and they will see the power of god in their lives lord we are walking testimonies each of us help us lord to open our mouths and speak i love what Marcia said just be faithful open your mouth i mean no you'll fill it lord Praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So if you need prayer today and you want to come forward and have someone pray for you, feel free to do that. Come forward. If you're not sure of your salvation and you want to be sure, I'll be right here. I'd love to talk to you. God bless you. Have a great day.